Good morning. I'm Susan Sapp, and I want to thank Pastor Mandy for asking me to give the message today. We are starting a series on creation today. You can find the story of creation in the Bible in Genesis 1 and 2, but to summarize, there was nothing, and God created everything, and it was dark, and then it was light, and in six days, everything was created, and on the seventh day, he rested. The bottom line of the message today is that our relationship with God and this creation story are connected. God loves all creation. It's really hard to look around sometimes and not know that there has to be a God. A beautiful sunset, a mountain range, an animal having just the right claws or tentacles to do its job that it needs to do, a dog having the right instincts in just the right moment. Years ago, we got a puppy. She was wild and untrainable. Uh, She still is at 14. But she will always have a place in our home no matter what because one night when she was about one and my daughter was about 10, she started, the dog started barking really loud and strange. It was like she was yelling. And it was the middle of the night and I got up and I found the front door to our house standing open. And it was February, and it was 12 degrees out. So I thought, oh, what a good dog. She was warning me that the door was open. And I started to shut the door when something caught my eye outside. And it was my 10-year-old daughter sleepwalking outside barefoot in her pajamas. And the dog did not stop barking until I had her back inside. So she was created to have just the right instinct to act in just the right moment. What I'm not going to do this morning is debate creation versus evolution or make arguments for intelligent design. What I do want to say is that it is totally okay to admit that there are things we don't understand or can't necessarily synthesize between science and nature. There's things we don't understand about God, and that's okay. For example, I am convinced that when the Bible uses the word years, There is no way they're talking about 365 24-hour periods. And you know why I'm pretty sure? Because the Bible says Sarah had a baby when she was 90 years old. I had a baby when I was 36. There's no way she had a baby when she was 90. Well, seriously, look at our DNA. Look at our brains, how they work. The earth, the earth is just the right size. It's just the right distance from the sun, just the right distance from the moon. Our fingers are exactly what we need to get our jobs done. We were created with love and for a purpose. Romans 1 verse 20 says, Ever since God created the world, his invisible qualities, both his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly seen. They are perceived in the things that God has made. We were created for relationship with Christ. That means we were created to do more than just believe in God. Believing in God means you ask Him to be part of your life and come over and be part of what you are doing. You know, when we say, a little help over here. Having a relationship with Jesus, committing our lives to God, seeking to know Him and wanting Him to know us, involves turning over our life to him, and wanting to go be part of what God's doing. 
So God wants to know us in a way that's real and personal. Matthew 22, verses 37, 38 say, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and most important commandment. Most important. The first. He doesn't say, just believe I exist and everything in your life will be fine. He says, him to, he says to love him more than you love anyone or anything else. And he wants us to be willing to be part of his work. Luke 9 verse 23 says, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. Now the verse is not saying that you have to die. The verse is saying you can't hold on to the old you and continue to worship the things you used to worship while you're walking forward in a new relationship with Christ. And he tells us God uses the Bible, prayer, and circumstances to communicate with us. John 14, verse 26 says, The Holy Spirit will teach you everything and will remind you of what I said while I was with you. So I think he's telling us to expect the Holy Spirit to communicate with us on God's behalf. So necessarily that involves answering his call, going out of our comfort zone to do something you could not do apart from God. And it's an, an opportunity to experience him, not just believe in him. John 15 verse 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So we know from these scriptures, this collection of scriptures, we can plan on God taking us outside of our comfort zone and maybe even more so outside of our spiritual comfort zone. He'll ask us to do things we could never do on our own, and when we do them, we will necessarily know that it was of God. Our ability came from God. But having a relationship with Jesus and knowing we were created in love by God does not mean we have all the answers. There is plenty of room for disagreement in Christianity. But there are certain truths, certain non-negotiables that form the, the core of our Christianity. Steve Todd, our good friend and founding pastor of Horizons, recently drafted what he called the one-minute gospel, Christianity in a hundred words. He summed up Christianity like this. With love for his lost creation, God kept his promise to Israel by sending Jesus, the Father's eternal Son in human flesh, through his victorious life, death, and resurrection, Jesus defeated God's enemies and established God's kingdom on earth. By his atoning sacrifice on the cross, all who repent and receive Jesus by faith are continually freed from idolatry, forgiven of their sins, filled with the Holy Spirit, and given transformed hearts. Today, his church follows him, loving everyone, pursuing holiness, discipling the nations, awaiting his return on the day of judgment and resurrection, when Jesus makes all things new. That is our core truth. That is our foundational belief. And we hold those beliefs together as the people of God's church. I get it. We may disagree on some political or social issues. Maybe you view some of your church family as too conservative. 
Or maybe you think some of the work people are doing is too liberal or radical. And that's okay. What we have to answer each for ourselves is, can we still love each other as God's church and be part of a church family with people who see certain social and political issues differently than we do? Or are we going to pick up our ball and go home if there are people in our church who don't see things the same way we do? Or can we accept each other's differences and still share our belief in the core principles of the gospel? I think there's room enough in the church for disagreement on political and social issues. I think God calls us to come alongside each other and meet people where they are as we make a place for all who seek Jesus. And I think that because most of us didn't grow up as strong Christians. Some of us were exposed to church. Some of us went to churches that didn't teach about having a relationship with Christ. Most of us came to Christ as young adults or even old adults. And most of us got there because somebody, probably somebody very different from us, came alongside of us, got to know us, loved us, and helped us find our way to Jesus. And those people came alongside of us because we were created to be part of God's story. The people who came alongside of us knew that this is God's story. And we were created for a purpose, for a calling. And that's true whether we accept it or not. They came alongside of us. I'll speak for myself. I was a dork. So John and Angela Harrington came alongside of me when I'm sure they looked at me and thought, I don't really have anything in common with this Susan Sapp. And they didn't judge me. They didn't tell me all the things that were wrong about me. I already knew. They loved me and I saw Jesus through them. And throughout the Bible, God uses some of the most broken, weak, flawed, unqualified people to do his work. For example, Moses gave five reasons why he didn't think he should follow God's call. He said, I'm not the right person. I'm not qualified. I'm not spiritually mature enough. I lack the tools. I don't have the power. But God promises us, just as he promised Moses, that he will equip us with what we need to do the work he calls us to do. This power comes from the creation, the creation power of God. And it comes to us through our Savior, Jesus Christ. And sometimes it doesn't look anything like what we planned. In fact, that's true most of the time, I think. Our amazing Karen Harold uh, here at Horizons shared some thoughts on social media the other day, and I asked her if I could share them with you. She shared that after working on some puzzles in her life, both literally and figuratively, she realized life is like a puzzle. Some pieces are colorful, some not, but you need them all to make it beautiful. You need every piece, even though you don't always know where that piece fits in. Sometimes you get frustrated trying to fit the pieces together and you need to walk away and take a break. 
Sometimes when you're looking for one specific piece, you find another piece that fits in better and makes more sense. Sometimes you think there are not enough pieces to finish the puzzle, but you find some missing pieces on the floor and it ends up being beautiful. And once you have the frame, it's easier to figure out where the pieces fit. We were created to have faith in Christ Jesus. So the frame of our puzzle is Jesus Christ. Once we have that frame, it's easier to figure out where the rest of the pieces fit. Just think for a minute what our world would be like if Jesus hadn't come into our world as the Son of God, lived, died, after three days, resurrected, and rose from the dead. What if Jesus had just lived? Maybe he decided not to sacrifice his life for us at all. What if he'd just been a cool guy who lived in ancient times and said smart stuff, lived out his life as a carpenter, and then passed away? Without his persecution, without his death, without his resurrection from the dead, Christianity does not exist today. There are no Christian churches or cathedrals, no Christmas, no New Testament of the Bible. The Good Samaritan story is no story at all. Our world would be entirely different without Jesus because Christianity was born out of his death and resurrection. And remember, Jesus was born into a world that was full of slavery and human suffering. I think half of the people were slaves. The concept that all people are children of God and should not be owned by other people came from Christianity. And it changed the course of, of human suffering around the world, uh, probably most profoundly for children, especially female children. Back before the birth of Christianity, Roman families rarely raised more than one female child. Female child two, three, four were killed or sold into slavery. And elderly and ill members were taken to the river and left to die. But when Jesus came on the scene, Christianity was introduced into the world and it changed how our culture cared for our vulnerable. Some of the most renowned hospitals and orphanages were founded by Christians, the Salvation Army, YMCA, St. Jude, St. Elizabeth, born out of Christian compassion, valuing female, male, young, old, mentally challenged, physically disabled, poor, rich, urban, rural, I know that many of us are on different paths on our walk with Christ. We're in different places on our journey. But the thing to remember is God wants you wherever you are, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, whatever you've said, no matter how long you've been gone, or if it's just new, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, he will meet you where you are. Maybe you still struggle with the concept that Jesus died and rose from the dead. I have a good friend who tells me, I want to get there, but I just can't get there logically. And I tell him, that's okay. You don't have to have all the answers to believe. You don't have to have all the answers to reach out to Jesus. You don't have to have all the answers to surrender your life to Christ. God will reveal things to you in the time that he wants to reveal things to you. God's promise is found in Romans 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
This scripture is more than a pep talk, friends. Conqueror means one who overcomes with overwhelming victory, like the Husker football team did in the early 80s. Remember the scoring explosion? It was a long time ago. Conqueror. We are more than conquerors. When we commit our lives to Christ and surrender the outcomes to God, we give God control of our lives and the type of power that was available to Moses is available to us. It doesn't mean God is a gumball machine. You put your prayer request in and he spits out your desired outcome. Lots of really bad stuff still happens and that makes absolutely no sense to me. People lose their spouses, their children, their homes, their lives, their ability to walk, talk, breathe, speak. They lose their careers. I have a good friend, Lindsay, and she told me that earlier in her her life, she kept trying to fix what God wasn't doing correctly. But she was doing so outside of God's plan for her. We We all have free will. We can ignore God's calling. We can ignore his plan. We can grab the wheel back from God and pretend we're driving. And Lindsay said that's exactly what she did. She compared it to Sarah in the Old Testament. Sarah of the Old Testament wanted to have a child and God was not allowing her to become pregnant. So rather than trust in God and wait for his timing, she gave her slave Hagar to her husband Abraham and Hagar and Abraham conceived a child together, Ishmael. And not surprisingly, a bunch of problems arose from this arrangement because it was a really bad idea. Lindsay said she basically did the same thing. She wanted a husband and family, so she took up with the wrong person. And then she took up with another wrong person. And then she ventured into drugs and other activities and had a couple kids and almost lost custody of her children. Because what she said, what Lindsay said, is that she was trying to solve her own way what she thought God wasn't big enough to solve. I bet a lot of us can think of times we've done the same thing. We don't always understand God's ways or agree with his ways. We say we've surrendered our life to Christ, but then we still want it our own way especially when bad things happen. Uh, One of my closest friends, Angela, uh, she and her husband, John, were instrumental in my coming to Christ 25 years ago. Um, And in the last year, they had the profound loss of their toddler grandson. Uh, He just went to sleep one night and didn't wake up. And the grief was like a tidal wave, even for Angela, who's a very strong believer. But even amidst her grief, she urged people to remember Timothy Keller's words. Timothy Keller wrote, Just because you can't see or imagine a good reason why God might allow something to happen doesn't mean there can't be one. This is one of the hardest truths to hold while suffering. Our creation is evidence of God's unending love for us and his desire for us to flourish. In Ephesians 3, verses 19 to 20, the Bible says, May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. 
Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Infinitely more. So the scripture tells us that what God has in store for us through our creation is far better than we could ever imagine. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. New creation doesn't mean you're reincarnated. It means we start a new life. A new life in which God gives us the tools to become the person he calls us to be. And it means letting go of the counterfeit ways we've lived in the past. God will convict you of change, I promise. If you say, I'm available, help me get rid of the counterfeit ways of worship. Help me get rid of the counterfeit ways of joy. He will tap you on the shoulder hard. Maybe it's alcohol and drugs, pornography, gambling, sexual immorality, adultery, anger, bullying, overeating, work, hoarding, etc., All I know for sure is that things change when we put God at the center of our lives. When we develop the habit of prayer, meditation, devotions, reading the Bible, praying for and with other people. When we're brave enough to share what we believe and to reach out to people who might be on a different path than us. When we speak the truth, even if we're nervous about the response. Because bottom line, friends, we were created to be part of each other's story. Ultimately, we have to be willing to be a character in each other's story. We have to be willing to come alongside someone who's different from us, not with the goal to change them, but to get to know them, to have relationship with them, and let them come to know Jesus through us. Not to judge their sin, not to change their sin. That's between them and God. I have a friend who says, I have my hands full with my own sin. To be part of someone else's story, you have to be prepared to expose yourself. Because when you show your flaws, you offer other people hope. Years ago, I was giving a message on Sunday, and I alluded to some big challenges that one of my adult kids was having. And after the service, a woman I'd never met before, Diana, came up, and she shared with me what her adult daughter had gone through and was transparent with me and gave me some really good advice. About a year after that conversation, things with my son were worse, and I found myself really wanting to talk to her again. But I didn't know how to get a hold of her. So I prayed and I asked God to reconnect me with her. And a few days later, I was walking up the stairs in an office building I go into about once a year, and down the stairs came Diana. And I got to talk to her, and it was a great help to me because she was transparent. She was real. And she's become a dear friend. God gives us the power to enter into each other's lives and minister to each other. But we have to be willing to be transparent. Rick Warren says, Pastor Rick Warren uh, from Saddleback Church says, Our greatest pain, our worst embarrassment, our biggest shame is our greatest opportunity to minister to each other. 
And that means we have to be willing to be interrupted from what we thought we were supposed to be doing. And we need to be willing to do things that feel awkward. One time during prayer time, I felt, this, I felt a voice. I felt God telling me, tell Cheryl about the mustard seed. I ignored it because I didn't know who Cheryl was. But it persisted and kept interrupting my thoughts. Tell Cheryl about the mustard seed. Finally, I realized that Cheryl was somebody I had just met in this Bible study. And the thought kept bothering me. So with the next Bible study, I went over to Cheryl and I told her, look, I, f- I feel called to share with you the verse of Matthew 17, 20 that says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, nothing will be impossible. And she seemed shocked and I was kind of embarrassed. But later she told me it was the push that she needed to commit her life to Christ And she felt like God had reached out to her through those words. It's a hard balance between responding when you feel called to do something and and the social embarrassment. I had to speak at at the funeral of one of my best friends, and um, he was a prominent lawyer and like a second dad to me. And he was a very devoted Christian. And I knew the funeral would be full of lawyers and lots of non-Christians. And as I prepared the eulogy, I felt a real tug to tell the truth about the gospel at the funeral. But it was hard like, not to worry what people would think. And I got there, and in the program, he had written what he called his final closing argument. And it was the story of the gospel. So in the end, I decided I didn't care what people thought. I wanted to honor Fred, and I wanted to honor God, and I wanted to give God the glory. Because when you commit your life to Christ, you start to care more about what God thinks than what other people think. And that is exactly what we were created for. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, I thank you for this church, for this congregation of believers, for this church family, and the way they have ministered to me and my family and so many people over the last 26 years. This church has been a powerful force for Jesus in our community. Don't let disputable, debatable matters cause division, Lord. Keep us unified. Keep us focused on the gospel. Keep us focused on the creation. Keep us focused on your purpose for us. We pray for forgiveness for our transgressions. We pray for a heart to forgive those who have trespassed on our hearts. Unify us. We're grateful for your mercy and the freedom that comes from a relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. We pray that someone here today takes the step to pray with us that God, you are the ruler of the universe. You sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. And we surrender our lives to you, Jesus, as our Savior. We seek to have a relationship that is real and personal with your son. We commit our lives to you, Lord. Amen.